Book Five, Chapter One of Round the Block by John Balbutin. The Sleepervox recording is in the public domain. Book Fifth, Maneuvers, Chapter One: Stolen More Than a Purse. One morning, as Marcus Wilkeson was idly turning the pages of a blue and gold favorite, the doorbell rang. In accordance with some mysterious law of acoustics, the sound was full three minutes descending the kitchen staircase entering the keyhole of the kitchen door and striking on the tympanum of mash the cook who was sitting by the fire reading the twenty-fifth chapter of the buttery and the boudoir a tale of real life when mash became fully conscious which was not till the end of the chapter that the bell had rung she expelled a sigh from her fat chest and wiped the tears from her eyes with the end of her clean apron and then went to the door with a noble resignation to her lot. There she found a stout elderly woman bearing a note for Marcus Wilkeson, Esquire. "'Lor, how slow you are,' said the stout woman, handing the letter to her. Mash, who had read in the twenty-third chapter of the overwhelming way in which the heroine cook had answered an insult by dignified silence, said not a word in reply but took the note and slammed the door in the stout woman's face. The exclamation, Bah! and certain indistinct mutterings which were audible through the panels, convinced Mash that, by her self-denial, she had won a moral victory. It was with a feeling of excusable pride that she walked into the back parlor and delivered the note to Marcus Wilkeson. Thank you, Mash, said he. It was a singular illustration of his excessive politeness that he was no less grateful for paid services than for free. Mash retired, thinking to herself that, if Mr. Wilkeson were only a pirate, a smuggler, a guerrilla chieftain, or a dashing fellow in some unlawful, dangerous business, a few years younger he would be a perfect hero. Marcus did not recognize the handwriting of the address. Tearing open the envelope, he read the following lines, hastily scrawled on a bit of blue paper. Wednesday A.M. Marcus Wilkeson, Esquire. Sir, please come over and see me immediately. I have something important to communicate. Your obedient servant, Eliphalet Minford. Something must be wrong, said Marcus, and startling thoughts then occurred to him. Has her hard studying brought on illness? It can't be. She was well enough last evening. What can be the matter? Marcus Wilkeson's temperament was of that unfortunate nervous sort which is thrown off its balance by the slightest shock. His frame trembled as he put on his overcoat and hat, and when he looked in the mirror he noticed that his face was paler than usual and his eyes were glassy. Pooh! What a sensitive fool I am! said he. When he entered the room without knocking, as was his custom of late, he found the inventor standing in front of his machine, with bare arms hard at work. Marcus nervously said, Good morning, and stepped forward to shake him by the hand, but stopped when he saw that Mr. Minford averted his face and did not move. I wished to show you a letter which I received a few minutes ago, said the inventor still not facing Marcus, but busily filing off the rough edge of a brass wheel, fresh from the mold. 
There it is, on the table. Marcus caught up the letter and read the following. New York, Wednesday forenoon. Mr. Minford. Respected sir, allow a true friend and well-wisher to ask a few questions. Who is this Mr. Marcus Wilkeson that has suddenly taken such an interest in your family affairs? What is his private history? Why is he relieving you from all trouble and expense in the education of your beautiful child? What are the man's real motives? Would it not be well to spare your eyes from your invention long enough to look into these matters a little? Pardon the suggestion. The office of a spy and a secret accuser is an unpleasant and perhaps a thankless one. I should never have assumed it but for the fact that your ardent devotion to science may render you the easy dupe and your daughter the innocent victim of a designing and heartless man of the world i do not ask you to believe the writer of an anonymous note and therefore i make no specific charges against this wilkeson but merely ask you to inquire into his private character and above all his motives for yourself one of many. Though Marcus Wilkeson was as innocent as a child, in deed and thought, of the baseness hinted at in the letter, he felt that he was looking guilty. Astonishment and indignation kindled in his eyes, but a flush of shame mounted at the same time to his cheeks. Marcus had often said that if he were tapped on the shoulder in the street and charged with a petty theft, he would look guilty of grand larceny until he could regain command of his feelings. This diseased sensitiveness inherited from his mother was the cause of his physical and mental organization. His shame was increased by a consciousness that the inventor was stealthily watching him and studying the enlargement of those horrid red spots on his cheeks. When Marcus finished the letter he put on an expression of outraged innocence, which matched poorly with the flaming tokens of guilt, and said, These are infernal lies, sir, and if I knew the coward who wrote them, I would cram them down his throat. Of course they are lies, returned Mr. Minford. Every anonymous letter writer is a liar, until it is proved that he tells the truth. I shall believe none of these low aspersions on your honor, Mr. Wilkeson, without conclusive evidence. As the inventor said this, not emphatically, Marcus saw that he believed all that the letter had insinuated. By this time Marcus had got his constitutional devil a little under control. There was something of real boldness and honesty in his eyes as he answered, This is a distressing subject to talk or think of but now that it has been brought before us, I demand a full investigation. Go wherever you will among those who know me and inquire into my character. Recall everything that has occurred between us since the beginning of our acquaintance. Ask your daughter if I have ever spoken a word to her or cast a look at her which could justify these infamous insinuations. Thus much I ask of you in justice to me. And I refuse, sir, said the inventor. I will not insult you by an unworthy suspicion. The world is full of impertinent people, and we can no more stop their gabble than that of swallows in the air. 
This nameless fellow signs himself one of many. That is probably a lie. But if there were thousands like himself prying into your and my affairs, I should not care. As for motives, none but fools and misanthropes trouble themselves about them. The inventor tossed off the last sentence contemptuously. But Marcus knew that he did attach a great importance to motives. Although he could not fairly be ranked either among the misanthropes or the fools, he therefore replied, The whole world is welcome to inquire into my motives. As I understand them, they are, First, I take pleasure in your society, sir, because, like myself, you are a quiet, thinking man. Second, you have a hobby, your machine there, and I admire people with hobbies. Third, I am fond of children, and, and your daughter is a very pleasant, intelligent child. Fourth, you have insisted on selling me an interest in your invention, in return for a small loan, and that fact would draw me here if nothing else did. These are motives enough to satisfy the most inquisitive mind, I should think. Marcus said this with an attempt at a light laugh. But there was one motive not yet confessed, a motive which could hardly be called a motive, for it lay dim and half-formed within his brain. He had never, in his moments of self-inquisition, acknowledged its existence to himself. How could he, then, venture to disclose it to another? It was the suppression of this immature motive that brought back that look of deceit and guilt to Marcus Wilkeson's ingenuous face. This unfortunate physiognomical revelation was not lost upon the keen eyes of the inventor. But he said, Mr. Wilkeson, let us not say another word on this ridiculous subject. I am ashamed of myself for showing you the letter. I ought to have thrown it into the fire. There I differ with you, my dear sir, said Marcus. You did perfectly right and I am glad that I have had the opportunity to define my position here clearly, once and for all. Marcus could not avoid saying this much in mere civility to the inventor, but he indulged the private opinion that that gentleman should have burned the anonymous note. Who can have written this scoundrelly thing, continued Marcus, turning over the letter, and then the envelope for the twentieth time each, and minutely examining them. The note was written on a half-sheet of common letter-paper. The manufacturer's stamp in the corner had been cut off, and the size of the half-sheet further diminished by paring down one of its sides. The writing was what is known as backhanded, in strokes which appeared at first sight to be of a uniform lightness. On inspecting it very closely, Marcus discovered a tendency in this backhanded penmanship to ascend from the line, and also that, in a few instances, the downward strokes on certain long letters were a trifle thicker than on others. That the writing was a man's, Marcus had no doubt, though he would have been puzzled to give the reasons which led him to that conclusion. The envelope was the ordinary prepaid stamped one issued by the government, and therefore could not contribute to the identification of the anonymous writer. 
The superscription was in the same backhand, and was peculiar in nothing but a small curved flourish like Hogarth's line of beauty beneath the words New York City. The rascal has carefully disguised his hand, said Marcus, and does not mean to be found out. I can say nothing more positive than that it is written by somebody who has never corresponded with me. My memory of autographs happens to be pretty tenacious, and I am positive that it is written by no acquaintance of mine, or of my daughter's, for we have none except you. As the case now stands, it is a mystery, not worth the exploring. Again I differ with you, said Marcus. Whoever wrote this false letter has powerful motives of hostility to me or you, or perhaps, still worse, to your daughter. I must try to smoke him out of his hiding-place. Meanwhile, I trust, sir, you will see the propriety of concealing this unpleasant matter from Miss Minford. Certainly, Mr. Wilkeson, certainly. As for myself, it is forever dismissed from my mind, and I cannot blame myself sufficiently for having troubled you with it. Mr. Minford here proffered his hand, which Marcus cordially shook, rejoicing to observe no trace of suspicion in the inventor's clear gray eyes. Allow me to retain this letter for the present, asked Marcus. It may serve as a clue to the detection of the concealed scoundrel. I also beg that you will show me any other anonymous letters of the same character that may reach you. Mr. Minford laughed. The stove door is the pigeonhole where all such nonsense ought to be filed away. But just as you please. If any more come to hand, you shall see them. They may amuse you, as they do me. Ha <laughs> ha! Marcus echoed the laugh, but feebly. Then it occurred to him that Pet would soon be home, and he felt a strange aversion to meeting her after what had happened. He therefore pleaded a pressing engagement at eleven o'clock, which it then was, and took his departure from the inventor's room, but not without a warm and seemingly sincere invitation to call soon. End of Book 5, Chapter 1